the baking industry has been fighting for at least half a century, declining trends in the market for enriched white bread. And through uh, most of that period, they've fought that through innovation. From Baking and Snack Magazine, this is Since Sliced Bread, the podcast that celebrates the past, present, and future of the commercial baking industry. This season of Scent Sliced Bread is sponsored by AMF Bakery Systems. Extend the life of your bakery equipment through AMF's partnership maintenance plans, offering quarterly maintenance and on-site training plans to ensure your equipment continues to run at optimal performance. For more information, visit amfbakery.com. I'm your host, Charlotte Atchley, Senior Editor of Baking and Snack Magazine. I joined Baking and Snack in 2011. Back then, the industry was abuzz with the fact that whole wheat bread had blown past white bread in terms of sales for the first time in 2010, and the changes haven't slowed down since. A decade later, the industry is still buzzing around the question of why. Why all these sudden changes in consumer eating and buying habits, especially around bread, which was once a staple food? Is it the internet? Is it fast-paced lifestyles? Are millennials killing bread like they killed cable TV in department stores? So in our first season, we decided to find some answers by talking to some of the leaders in the commercial baking industry. In the coming weeks, you'll hear from the biggest company in baking, commercial artists and bakers, and family bakeries on what they think it will take to save bread. But first, we sat down with Josh Sosland, editor of Milling and Baking News and editor-in-chief of Food Business News, to help us understand the sales data and provide us with some historical context. Josh also serves as president of Sosland Publishing Company, which owns Baking and Snack. Thanks for joining us, Josh. Well, thanks for inviting me, and congratulations on the launch of this uh, podcast series. You've been watching the grain-based foods market for a while now. What have the past few years in sales looked like for grain-based foods, especially bread? They haven't looked great. The issues really go back probably about 10 years uh, during the, the Great Recession. There were bad food trends uh, across much of the supermarket, and it certainly uh, included all of grain-based foods, or at least those that you wouldn't consider indulgence products. And to some degree or another, those weak trends, and here we're mostly talking about unit, unit sales, uh, have continued pretty much unimpeded for about 10 or 11 years. Um, in the last few years, there have been occasional signs that trends were getting better. But then in the past year, year and a half, uh, they've really worsened considerably. And we had 52-week uh, numbers that were down about 4% year to year, which are about as bad as at any time that I can remember uh, in my career. And I think really for the last couple of years, um, that has a lot of people across the grain-based foods industry scratching their heads, thinking hard about, number one, what's causing this challenge and exactly what you know, might be done to help reverse it. I think it's important to also point out that uh, while it's been tough in, uh, in, in the bread market, it does continue to extend to other parts of, of grain-based foods, and that includes crackers, uh, the ready-to-eat cereal market. And, and, and many other segments. I know we're mostly focused on bread, but since you extrapolated it out to other grain-based food segments, 
Um, how does that compare against indulgences? Indulgences are doing pretty well, right? Yeah, and and that's been fairly consistent through this this entire period. It isn't that every uh, sweet or other indulgent category is doing so great, but it's just been striking that that frequently when you know many staples have been doing poorly, sweets, uh, certain beverages, including alcoholic beverages, have actually been doing pretty, pretty well. Let's take a break and look at some numbers. For the past five years, according to data from IRI, fresh bread and rolls have seen declining unit sales consistently, while dollar sales have remained flat, if not down. And from 2017 to 2018, this category saw a significant drop that it's barely recovered from. In 2017, unit sales were only down 0.7% in the 52 weeks ending on December 31st. But in that same time period, in 2018, unit sales were down 3.4%. While bread sales being down isn't news, that much of a drop is enough to raise some eyebrows. If you look at other categories in the baking industry, like bakery snacks, pastries and donuts, those products are either growing or flat in their sales when compared to bread. According to IRI data from the past five years, these categories all experienced growth early on that has since leveled off. So what would you say um, have been, other than the sales data, what would you say have been some indicators that the market is really struggling right now? Well, like you said, right, to, to look beyond the actual sales data, I think some of the behaviors of some of the baking companies have indicated both that the market hasn't been great and that there is some uncertainty about what the outlook for the market is. If you look at recent activities of some of the largest baking companies, the, the fact that Bimbo's most recent acquisition was a uh, major acquisition in the United States was Eastbalt in some ways um, was an indicator that they think that there are more promising areas of growth possibly than the uh, bread aisle of supermarkets. Uh, Eastbalt, number one, focuses more on non-U.S. markets than the United States, and it also is more focused on uh, the quick service restaurant market than it is on, on supermarkets. You know, I think also beyond Bimbo, if you look at the, the nation's second largest baking company, Flowers, their most recent acquisitions, um, well, their most recent acquisition is a flour-free baking company, Canyon Bakehouse, which is addressing the, the gluten-free market. And then, of course, they've also made a major acquisition uh, a little bit earlier with Dave's Killer Bread, which is uh, focused principally on the uh, organic bread market. I was just reading on bakingbusiness.com, Flowers Foods was reporting that a lot of their growth is coming from both of those acquisitions, correct? Those different, those more non-traditional um, sliced breads that are different than just a regular sliced white bread. Yeah. Dave's I, Killer and um, Canyon Bakehouse. Yeah, absolutely. I think that they've been consistently saying that particularly Dave's has been mm -hmm. a, a major, major driver of their sales growth over the last few years. And that really does represent a, a change from a very extended period of time where Nature's Own um, grew to be the largest specialty bread brand or 
in the United States and uh, and grew year after year, and, and they have wondered too. But I don't think those have necessarily generated the the growth that historically uh, they've been capable of. Sure. So with all of this decline that we're seeing, what do you think is contributing to that and to Bimbo and Flowers' recent acquisitions? Why do you think the sharp decline in bread sales and consumers turning away? I, I think a lot of a lot of the trends, a lot of the forces that are pressuring the bread market are familiar to your readers or your listeners now. People eat out more. The center of the store in supermarkets has been weak for a number of years. People are more focused on uh, fresh foods. Diets of all kinds continue to be a problem. You know, we, we thought we were maybe looking at Atkins in the rearview mirror in 2005 and 2006, mm -hmm. but low-carb eating has not gone away. Gluten-free has hung in there uh, longer than people have expected. Um, there's really a, a whole range of reasons people have for avoiding flour-based foods. I think aging ba baby boomers is a contributor, uh, the proliferation of, of convenience foods. And, and I just think that whether it's restaurants or people at home are more comfortable than ever before building their meals around food groups that just don't include grains, that don't include bread, that, that include other choices. And, and I think that's increasingly become a problem. This episode of Since Sliced Bread is brought to you by AMF Bakery Systems, Empowering your bakery teams with seamless, repeatable operator training and support tools. Build and retain the highest performing bakery team with the AMF Method documentation and training tool. Offering interactive, focused training and development initiatives with easy access to online manuals and equipment documentation, AMF Method helps you maximize your bakery's performance and productivity. I'm curious um, how you see this moment in time stacking up against other historical difficult moments for the baking industry. So I think in a number of ways, it, it, it does feel a little bit different. I think this sort of piling on of, of different ways of avoiding grain-based foods feels different than in the past, where it just felt as though consumers were sort of flitting from one fad diet to another. And I, I think there's reason to, to be concerned about that. So separate from all the different ways people are dieting or finding ways to uh, avoid bread, avoid flour-based foods in their diet, there also seems in my mind to have been a little bit of a dearth of innovation over the last few years, and particularly compared to maybe what we've seen over the previous 50. Uh, the baking industry has been fighting for at least half a century declining trends in the market for enriched white bread. And through uh, most of that period, they've, they've fought that through innovation, beginning in the 1970s and really continuing uh, into the 80s and 90s. Uh, there was a, a lot of introductions of different sorts of variety bread, multigrain and bread that incorporates other uh, grains into them. And that really helped uh, generate growth and help counter the, uh, the weakness in the white bread market. And into the 2000s, that 
began to shift into perhaps more focus on uh, whole grains. Uh, there were low-carb products. There were bread made with whole grain that was meant to emulate the taste and texture of white bread. There were sandwich thins. Uh, there have been really a very, very steady diet of innovative products. And you know, more recently, rather than uh, the introduction of new products, I think you've seen uh, large baking companies either focus on acquisitions, as in maybe making an acquisition like Dave's Keller Bread in the case of flowers, but also baking companies seem a little bit more focused on filling in gaps in their product lines that they perceive other companies to be strong in. So you have a lot of baking companies thinking we could do better in the breakfast segment because they see a competitor who has a large share of the breakfast segment. And uh, I understand that that makes great business sense, but that sure doesn't create the sort of innovative buzz that really seems to be missing and that maybe we had at many different times over the last 10, 20, 30 years. What other food segments do you think the bread industry could maybe learn from when it comes to innovation and re-energizing the category? Well, well, I think one segment always worth looking at for baking is the dairy segment because, you know, when it comes to the two largest staples at supermarkets, uh, milk and bread still remain numbers, numbers one and two. And I think it's really striking to look at how the dairy segment is responding innovatively to a lot of the trends that are challenging a lot of food companies, but those include uh, grain-based foods companies. Um, in the last couple of weeks, I've actually been working on an editorial for Milling and Baking News that kind of reviews a lot of the new product introductions in dairy over the last few months, particularly in the area of functional foods, which I think is you know one of the powerful food trends that's emerging right now and one that the the grain-based foods industry seems to be taking a wait-and-see attitude toward. To me, that's a, a bit of a shame because uh, when we think about functional foods, really the very first functional food was enriched white bread in that when you, when you look at a functional food as adding specific ingredients to have particular or specific uh, health outcomes that you want to come from them. And so when you enriched white bread or enriched flour-based foods 70 plus years ago, we had the opportunity to end a number of chronic diseases in this country, including pellagra and beriberi, which you know, most doctors never see anymore. Anemia, which is the most prevalent disease in the entire world, is at very, very low levels in this country. Uh, more recently, when we added folic acid to bread, we saw a dramatic reduction in neural tube birth defects instantaneously. And that was a very powerful outcome when you think about how hard the March of Dimes worked for decades and was essentially unable to move the needle. And all the baking industry had to do was incorporate folic acid into their product and fixed or greatly reduced you know, a really terrible problem. And so there's this long track record of baking being a great vehicle for functional foods. And, and yet we really haven't done much, you know, in the last 20 years that stands out as 
making a big difference. The you know for kids products, the uh, standard bearer for many many years was uh, Iron Kids bread, and um, and it happened kind of quietly. But Iron Kids was discontinued earlier this year. The industry has been working with enriched flour for a long time. In response to diseases and nutritional deficiencies in the American population, the U.S. government recommended enriching flour with thiamine, niacin, riboflavin, and iron. This was in 1940. While the original standard of identity for enriched flour did not include bread for a few years, industry associations encouraged bakers to cooperate voluntarily. The first war food order in 1943, however, established that all flour sold in interstate commerce would be enriched, which forced the issue. This was later repealed, and today fortifying flour and bread products is no longer mandatory. In the 1990s, folic acid was included in enriched flour in an effort to prevent neural tube birth defect, an effort that has been lauded as a tremendous success. Meanwhile, you were asking about the other segments, and the dairy industry is attacking the kid market in a very aggressive way. Borden recently announced that they are introducing a flavored milk that has no added sugar for the first time ever. They're going to use stevia. Wow. And Group Danone is introducing a product through the Horizon. They own the Horizon brand now. They're introducing a milk targeting children aged one through five that has omega-3, choline, um, vitamin D, and I think maybe extra calcium, you know, with an eye toward the idea that children have different nutritional needs than, than adults do. And uh, there's a, a startup company. Um, their product is called uh, Brainiac. The company is Ingenuity Brands. It's uh, a San Francisco-based company. It's got venture funding, and they have a drinkable yogurt product that also has omega-3 and choline. And then separate from the functional area, DMI, which is the Dairy Checkoff Program, is partnering with McDonald's, and they're reformulating the flavored milk at McDonald's to lower the sugar by 25%, add a little bit more fat. So instead of being non-fat, it's 1% fat milk. And with the added fat, it enhances the mouthfeel and the taste in a way that diminishes the whatever negative effect that they might have from uh, lowering the sugar content. So, you know, people are, are reacting both, you know, we mentioned functional foods. There's also going to be the added sugars uh, line mm -hmm. in the nutrition facts panel. And, uh, and these segments are moving and acting and creating buzz. And, and I think there's a great opportunity for the baking industry and uh, flour-based foods industry to do the same. I mean, functional food seems to hit on a lot of the trends that consumers seem to be gravitating toward from like millennial moms wanting to feed their kids healthy, nutritious foods that's stealthy to just um, ad grown adults looking for clean label or food that's going to power them throughout their day, throughout their workout what have you. Why do you think the grain-based foods has, industry has been so kind of wait and see on this? I think you have to look at the grain-based foods uh, industry in, in segments. And I think maybe for the purposes of our discussion, we ought to uh, focus on, on, on the bread segment because ready-to-eat cereal 
uh, really often does attack functional in, right. in a different way. Um, honestly, I don't know how aggressively they are attacking that mm -hmm. right now, so I'm not sure that we're going to want that. I know bars is it's big for bars. Bar, bars would be yeah a, a a great example too. I think part of the issue with the baking industry really has been cultural that I think the baking industry has been proud of the role it played in enrichment in the fortification of flour later with folic acid. But it's also important to remember that those changes were mandated by the federal government. And so there, yeah. there's a degree to which they offered comments when this was going on, but, but they were passive players. And there's a little bit of perceived passivity right now. Mm -hmm. And there have been times when the baking industry really made a point of saying, this is food, this is not medicine. We want to make sure that we don't turn bread into a vitamin pill. Bread is also fun. Bread is also tasty. And so there's been a bit of a push and pull. And, and I think that that really has contributed to uh, a history of, of reticence that might be a little bit too great at the present time. What indicators do you think commercial bakers need to keep their eyes on moving forward? Look, always the uh, per capita consumption of flour is a good indicator of, of what the overall opportunity is in uh, flour-based foods. And so the, the fact that the bread market right now is not performing as well as the per capita consumption of flour says, you know, the bakers have some work to do to, to maintain their position as the lead product in the flour-based foods category. It, it was striking to me recently to see that family flour sales over the last few years have actually outperformed sliced bread sales. And family flour, at least over the last 60, 70, 80, maybe even 90 years, has been the most classically declining segment of the uh, grain-based foods market. So I think, at least at a minimum, I think the bread market wants to hold its own when it comes to its share of overall flour-based foods. So how do you think the current structure of the baking industry impact the way the industry should approach this issue going forward? I think it's interesting to look at differences in the way that the bread industry is structured today versus maybe the previous 50, 60 years. In one important way, I think the industry has a great advantage that, that its largest companies are overwhelmingly focused on bread and fresh baked foods. They're not part of large conglomerates. And I think that means that you have baking um, management at, at the largest baking companies that are solely focused on bread and sweet goods, really like never before, which is a great thing. One thing that might be missing, though, is that you know, for decades, many of the largest bread companies were owned by large consumer packaged foods companies. And many of those companies had an orientation toward marketing and new product innovation that hasn't necessarily been standard in baking companies. And the baking industry really, really needs that focus on marketing and innovation and developing products that really create buzz. And, and I believe that the large baking companies are trying to move in that direction, but we really do need to see it. 
Well, Josh, thank you so much for speaking with us today and kind of giving us some context and perspective on um, the current climate of the bread industry. Do you have a final word um, for our listeners on this particular moment in our history? Sure. And thanks again for inviting me. Um, Milligan Baking News and Sazam Publishing Company have been covering the baking industry for almost 100 years. And we're proud that as long as we've been around, we're still covering companies that are a lot older than we are. And we continue to have a very hopeful, optimistic view of baking and of the flour-based foods industry. That said, we are at a particularly challenging moment in the industry's history. And I think it's important to recognize that this trend really does feel different than the past. For the industry to continue to reach its potential and, and remain a major and important staple in American diets, business as usual really isn't going to work. And concerted industry effort is going to be required to make sure that, that as I said, baking you know, lives up to its storied past and really reaches its potential in, in the years to come. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Sense Slice Spread. If you'd like to join the conversation, leave us a voicemail at 816-968-7772. Or you can record a message using the Voice Memo app on your smartphone and email it to podcast at sosland.com. You might hear your message on a future episode. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this season, AMF Bakery Systems. Rise together with AMF, your baking partner of choice. For more information, visit amfbakery.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Scent Slice Bread on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and drop us a review.